Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson, I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. This is a very special Great Daffodil Appeal edition of the podcast. Throughout March, Marie Curie turned the nation yellow with their biggest annual fundraising campaign. And to mark it, today's guest is a long-standing Marie Curie supporter. He's an English actor and producer who's played some of the best-known and most loved characters in British film history. His career includes Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bridget Jones's Diary, Love Actually, Paddington 2 and most recently The Gentleman. He lives in London with his wife Anna, and credits becoming a father with changing his outlook on life. Hugh Grant, welcome to the podcast. Hugh, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. How lovely to be here. Can I ask if you've had a significant death in your life, and are you happy to talk a bit about that? Yeah, the most significant death, I suppose, was my mother's death, which was uh, in 2001. And uh, when she got suddenly just got pancreatic cancer and she survived about a year from diagnosis until she died. And um, one thing that made her death infinitely better than it could have been was uh, was Mary Curie. And that's why I've always been a massive fan of uh, of the charity what made it better? Well, um, I, the big thing is that they give you the opportunity to die at home, which, uh, as I recall from when I was sort of campaigning for Mary Curie, is something that most people want to do and is quite difficult to do without assistance. And uh, so she went home and she had these amazing nurses who mainly did the nights, as I recall, and uh, were just brilliant. I mean, not only in terms of being professional as nurses, you know, with all the nursey stuff you have to do, but just as people, um, they were, you know, just perfect for my mother because she got to know them all very well. She was quite chatty, my mum. She got to know every last detail of their, you know, home lives, personal lives. And um, I think she had a laugh with them, actually. And I was just so full of admiration for them because... You know, if you if you put it on paper, that job uh, to go and look after people in their last days and hours before they die, when I mean, they're not in their best state, and it, it, during the night is on paper looks like a miserable job. But what what astonished me was, I honestly think they may have been some of the most uh, I don't want to say happy, but certainly contented in their work people I've ever met. Mm. Was it important for your mum to be at home? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, and that was very nice because, you know, you can get the family round and we did all that and, you know, people came from far and wide to sort of see her and I suppose say goodbye. That's 
<laughs> I'm not sure anyone did say goodbye. Maybe that was a little sort of blunt, but it was effectively saying goodbye, yeah. Were there conversations that you'd had? So did you and your mum talk about her death and her end of life? Yeah, I mean, she's definitely talked about her funeral. She was um, absolutely uh, determined to have certain uh, hymns and certain pieces of music at her funeral, which I gave her, although I did cheat. I put in a couple of other pieces which she didn't want, but w which were brilliant. My choices were better than hers is really what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, and uh, what was her other thing? Her other thing is that she wanted everyone to be very sad. She said, I, <laughs> I don't want everyone turning up and having a laugh. Um, and actually, they were very sad. The, the funeral itself was incredibly sad. But at the drinks afterwards, I think uh, it, was nice. it was nice to get the whole family together. And because she was a very uh, kind of funny, upbeat person, you know, it was, a very, it was a very appropriate that the party was quite fun. When your mum was first diagnosed, is that something that she was open about with everyone and told you all and told the people around her? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a Friday night and I just got a call. I knew she'd, she'd had um, jaundice and some uh, various other symptoms and stomachache. And she went and, and got the results of some tests on a Friday night with my dad. And, and then she rang me up and said, uh, you know, it's not very good news pancreatic cancer and I didn't know much about pancreatic cancer and I said well what's you know what's the prognosis on that one she said well it's horrible <laughs> and it was you know it's it's one of the worst you can get as you will know and uh, you basically don't have very long unless you do this massive operation and there was a lot of debate about whether to bother to do that and in the end she did do it and it gave her yeah I think about another year how was that for you hearing about her diagnosis yeah it's the year she had to live well it's it's you know it is a massive shock and uh you know you i just felt uh, how do you how do you make this better <laughs> it's very bleak news hmm. i remember i was going round and the next day we sort of went for a walk as a family in the in zion park and it's just an odd thing hanging over. You know, you were talking quite normally, but it's an odd thing to think the Grim Reaper is hanging over this walk as we speak. Uh, but, you know, she was still capable of great laughs throughout the whole thing. She, she was particularly appalled by some of the, well, very well-meaning letters and cards she got, which were much too gloomy. You know, they, they were those horrible cards with sort of candles on the front saying, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. They're basically saying, I'm so sorry you're dead. And I, for, certainly for her, they struck completely the wrong note. Uh, she called them the ghouls. But uh, but they, they were well-meaning, I guess. But I think there is an element, and you've probably come across this, uh, seeing as this is your field, where people just slightly enjoy it because they like a bit of drama in their lives. And I think that that thing about kind of getting it right, you know, the the design on a card. I mean, yeah, you know, it, 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 no wreaths. Do, do we have to go for those cards? You know, with the, with a the sort of candle or the sunset on the front, or can yeah. we go for a card that might represent the individual? Yeah, much better. Or something that they're interested much in. Much better, you know? much better. I kind of think I prefer that as well. Yeah. Um, so you just talked about your mum's funeral. Yeah. Afterwards, can we talk a bit about bereavement and grief? What what helped you 
Uh, well, I'm not sure. It's a, I, I, it's a very strange thing, grief, because in my experience anyway, it hits you at the oddest and most embarrassing times and doesn't hit you at other times when you think it might. Um, for me, it was the, the certain triggers were uh, pieces of music because she always played the piano and uh, particularly when she was tired and she played one of her sort of a couple of her standard pieces were bits from a ridiculous old 1950s musical called Salad Days which was her first date with my father in the, in the 50s and uh, and these were the pieces of music that I made the organist <laughs> play and they're very jolly upbeat um, pieces of music which was quite odd for as the coffins being carried out of the church but that was the bit that set everyone off including me that was the saddest um and those pieces of music still have that power now to make me feel quite sad um and then other weird things you know just going about in your normal life chatting about something my mother had a very strange relationship with our cat and uh sometimes when my dad still talks to this cat even though the cat's been dead for many years as well that can sometimes set me off or or I, yeah or I think how sad it is that my mum never met my kids you know that's sad mm-hmm. and what helps you what has helped you at those times um I, I just think do you talk about it no not well yeah a bit with my brother and things like that but I wouldn't say we sort of talk about it too much it's mainly uh it's mainly just keeping, you know, she, as I keep saying, she had a great sense of humor. And so it's keeping a sort of sense of humor about the whole thing. And, you know, it's just, it's incredibly bad luck. You get cancer, you die. Hmm. I was just thinking about that, you know, because some people do talk about it. Some people do talk about their grief and find that very helpful. Some people can talk about it endlessly. And Well, it's then- odd. Some people are completely... Polaxed by it, I, you know. I have a German friend who, his mum died, and really, you know, for ten years he couldn't think or talk about anything else. Hmm. It's quite odd. I think it's different. You know, deep, different people react in different ways. You know, what we know in our work is depending on our relationship with the person. Then sometimes our experiences and our grief can be different. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. You they just mentioned your brother, and we know sometimes even in the same family, you know, people will have different mm-hmm. relationships, even with parents. Yeah. So therefore, they'll have a different experience of bereavement yeah. and grief. Doesn't mean they can't support each other, of course. Yeah. But we'll just have a different experience. Yeah. I think his has been fairly similar to mine. But the person you know we're really watching out for all the time is my dad, hmm. uh, left on his own, and. Uh, yeah, trying to make it all, make sure he's okay. Uh, and, you know, he's old school sort of ex-army officer. So I think, you know, naked exhibitions of grief quite unlikely to come from him. Mm. But I do remember uh, the moment my mum's body was taken out of the house. Dad said, I don't I don't want to see this bit. And he just watched from a window inside. And I, that was, I remember thinking that was interesting that he... You know, he didn't want to deal with that with that particular bit. And then I think it's coming back to me now. One of the things that gets one through those first weeks after death is um, practicalities, organizing a funeral. Mm-hmm. It's quite helpful. It fills your days uh, thinking about, you know, mundane things like what 
volivants shall we have at the reception uh so i think that helped a bit and then yeah for me uh i have tried to um do some things that <laughs> she might approve of uh, since she died, you know, like helping when I spent a few years helping with Mary Curie and I've done some other stuff. And uh, and my mum was a teacher and uh, in the state um, sector. And her big thing was she felt very strongly that kids from the primary school where she taught, the bright ones, the able ones, were not getting an opportunity to go to some of the really good West London schools because of finance and so uh, again you know to try and sort of do something in her memory I've uh, I've helped with with that I've set up some scholarships and they're named after her and then then, then there's a a great friend of hers uh, who had a daughter my age with a learning disability and uh, and uh, we set up a um, a special residence for people like her down in Kent, again named after my mother, and all those things kind of helped. Doing something that you think they would have approved of is uh, helpful. And how nice, kind of, just from a legacy point of view, to have her and what was important to her continuing yeah, to well, live on. Yeah. Hopefully, as I said earlier part of our campaign is about encouraging people really to kind of talk a bit more about death and dying and plan for it and um, I'm just wondering whether your dad talks about his own death and whether he's talked to you about that or whether that's something that's not discussed no no he's always saying well I haven't got long and and, and you know being as I say a military man it's, it's all planned down to the last dot and comma of the everything it's right. you know, he keeps sending new files of this is what happens he calls it the wash up wash up after death read carefully so we got a lot of those files and uh but you know it's hard because uh, my mum died when she was 63 dad's now uh, 92 i think and you know uh, some of those decisions when they're that old have to be made i, I wanted to say for them but i'd say with them mm. So if the files keep coming and he keeps changing in his mind, you might just <laughs> yeah, you might refile that. some yeah, of them. Yeah, all that, all that. And can I ask you just to move on a bit um, about what what we know in our work is that when people are grieving, bereaved, or they're supporting someone who's dying, they're often faced with their own mortality, mm-hmm. and and sometimes that's hard. Um, I wondered. Do you ever think about your own death? Do you ever talk about it? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I, I have a lawyer who ne- never stops badgering me about it. She wants to do the will. Um, and that is important. You know, now suddenly I've got five children. You've got to sort that out. Uh, and I, yes, and I'm always saying to my wife, you know, if I lose my marbles or can't go to the loo, shoot me. And she says, please do the same. And there's something there about maybe is is it a concern about suffering at the end? Because yeah. that's what's the lots point of, of that? people have that concern. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, who wants to suffer, and who wants to see someone you love suffer? And you know, you have to carry them to the loo, and um, 
that was one of the weird moments when my mum was dying. She, she, you know, one of these nurses was wonderful and had a bedpan and all that. And uh, and that had been going on for weeks. My mum never left her bed. And then suddenly, uh, the day she died, she astounded us all by just getting out of bed <laughs> and walking quite normally across the room to the loo. Anyway, we we stopped her and carried her the rest of the way. But yeah, that, that was a big surprise. So you're working on writing your will. Have yeah. you have you um, planned your funeral or talked about it or thought about it? Uh, well, only casually, only casually. Yeah. I I mean I think funerals, to me anyway, I find them a bit Victorian and depressing. All that paraphernalia that's sort of been with us for a couple of hundred years now is a bit icky. I I I, I think. Um, for me, I, d I don't particularly want to be there in a box with everyone standing making sad faces and a black tie around me. I'd, I'd rather they took me away and, you know, got rid of my body and then people can have, a, you know, some kind of party. Mm. But I think the whole yeah, funeral hearses and I, I think even burials doesn't appeal to me. So maybe cremation? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Have you told those close to you that that's what you want? Yeah, but I don't know if anyone took me seriously. I mean, I know I, I know where I'd like to be scattered. <laughs> um, but you can write that stuff down in your will. Yeah, you quite. Kind of, yeah, you can put the, put the basics in there yeah, at least, yeah. and um, so at least it's documented. Yes. For anybody listening, Hugh, is there anything? If anybody's bereaved or caring for someone who is living with a terminal illness is there any not words of advice or wisdom but but anything you you might say something that helped uh well if they're in, if they're struggling and then they need help go to mary curie i'd say that for sure they really were astonishing i, I know i keep saying it but they were um and uh, otherwise, I don't know that there is anything you can really say. Uh, it's it's bloody awful. That's what I always say to people who who get a terminal illness or who've someone you know in their family gets a terminal illness. It's it's ghastly. There's no point pretending it isn't. Hmm. Is legacy something that's important to you? I you know, I never really know what that buzzword means exactly. What people think of me after my death. Hmm. Uh, or how you might like to be remembered. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can't control the, the, the problem for me is I people who know me and have known me will remember who I really was, but I won't be able to control <laughs> what's you know out there on the internet now and is may not be entirely true, uh, and the, I slightly dread that becoming hardened fact after my death. Hmm. But I'm certainly I'm not making any efforts to, you know, control my legacies. It is what it is. And to a certain extent, what do I care? I'm I'm dead. I was getting, a, I was just thinking about your mum again there, because actually all those all those things that have been put in place after she's died, you know, you were, you were describing the the sort of residential home for people with learning disabilities named after her, and, yeah, and other other things, um, how. It gives a sense of the woman she was mm. and what was important to her. Yeah. 
That's what I think I mean by legacy. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, well, I, I don't know. I suppose my legacy is my children, and I'm trying to drill into them, you know, some of my better values. I've got terrible values as well, but I try to get the better ones into them. So they do as I say, not as I do. And then, you know, that's what you, that's what you leave behind. That's what nature intended. They're my... You know, they have my genes on the one hand, and also, you know, I hope I will have drilled some stuff into them that's um, positive rather than negative. And uh, that's it. That's that's your main legacy. Hugh Grant, thank you so much for joining us on the Marie Curie Couch. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, thank you very much. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. This podcast is made by Marie Curie, a national charity that supports people affected by terminal illness. During March, we're celebrating the great daffodil appeal. So please donate and wear a daffodil pin to show your support for all the work we do. You can find out more on our website, mariecurie.org.uk, where you can also find details of the information and support that we offer. The podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. This episode was recorded at Grand Central Recording Studios and the music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.